study after study has demonstrated that companies that act with a broader purpose and that have a multi-stakeholder approach actually outperform the market and outperform their peers. So what we're really talking about here, I think, is a shift away from a very quarterly short-term focus and investing in a longer-term focus for companies. By giving to others, by thinking about others, ultimately, it builds a brand that is bigger and better for shareholders as well. So everybody wins. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescu, and this is my podcast, where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. My family and I have been sequestered since early March in West Chokan, New York, in the Catskill Mountains, close by to Woodstock and 100 miles north of New York City. Lots of opportunities to be socially distant in this beautiful but remote region. If this was not a nightmare, this would be a dream. I've spoken to quite a few people about their reading during quarantine times. Sorry, I haven't yet published those discussions. Probably a bit of a COVID-19 funk on my part, which I'm lifting today. In the last several months, I've read some very interesting books, most recommended by friends. I read White Fragility by sociologist and educator Robin D'Angelo, which was both eye-opening and deeply thought-provoking. Unorthodox, Deborah Friedman's memoir of the rejection of her Hasidic roots, better even than the Netflix miniseries, which I also enjoyed. Stern, a Philip Roth-like tale by Bruce J. Friedman, but not quite the same. Churchill, Walking with Destiny by British historian Andrew Roberts, a remarkable biography of an extraordinary, although of course an imperfect man, who played an outsized role in the salvation of Western civilization during World War II. St. X, an excellent and beautifully written debut novel, a mystery novel by Alexis Shakin. The Nickel Boys, another highly, highly recommended haunting and heartbreaking novel from Colson Whitehead. The Chill by Scott Carson, an eerie horror suspense disaster novel that takes place right here adjacent to the Ashokan Reservoir in the Catskills, also highly recommended. And An American Marriage, a portrayal by Cornell University professor-at-large and best-selling author Tiari Jones of the effects of a wrongful conviction on a young African-American couple. Heartbreaking. I'm currently reading Harvard professor, historian, and New York staff writer Jill Lepore's book, These Truths, A History of the United States, which sounds like it would be a companion volume to Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Some of these books resonate in the current environment, The Nickel Boys, An American Marriage, and These Truths, for their depictions of the African-American experience in America. And while none of the books I've read recently evoke images of our COVID-19 fears, two that I've read in the past and that resonate today are The Road, the chilling post-apocalyptic novel by Cormac McCarthy, and The Uninhabitable Earth, Life After Warming, in which New York Magazine deputy editor journalist David Wallace-Wells warns of how we will need to adapt as a result of impending severe climate change. Adapting to an apocalypse sounds right just about now. Another book I read while sequestered is Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution and Why That's Good for All of Us by Rob Chestnut. Intentional Integrity also resonates at this time and is extraordinarily timely. It's also actually anti-apocalyptic 
in that it conveys hope. Quoting Rob from his book, I'm an optimist by nature, and I'm more convinced than ever that all businesses have a great opportunity right now to step into the leadership void and chart a proactive ethical course that is good for their full slate of stakeholders. Rob was introduced to me by my very interesting friend, Kate Karras. So, at the very least, by definition and association, Rob himself is interesting and is my guest today. Rob began his journey in the U.S. Justice Department, including as a federal prosecutor, and then he joined eBay as an early employee and ultimately had responsibility for overseeing all site rules and policies for the eBay global community of over 150 million users. Rob later was general counsel of LiveOps Inc. and then of Chegg. Most recently, Rob was general counsel and then chief ethics officer of Airbnb. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Howard, thanks for having me on. I'll, I'll try to live up to the the interesting <laughs> moniker that you gave me earlier. I expect you will. So let, let's start with the name of your book. What is it you mean by intentional integrity? Well, let's start with integrity. Integrity has been commonly defined as you know, doing doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Uh, you know, the problem, Howard, is that today everybody's watching. You know, between the internet and uh, the various websites and the like out there, the way that you act, particularly if you are a leader uh, or a company that is impacting the world, what you do is going to be spread out for the entire world to see. So intentional integrity really is a recognition that integrity can't be something that's just taken for granted. Uh, I think for for so long, it's been just a poster on the wall, you know, with the lake and the, you know, the pretty moon in the background and the word integrity. But people don't talk about it. And there's not really a proactive effort inside of companies to weave it into the culture. So intentional integrity is, a, I think, a, a belief that companies now more than ever have to operate with integrity. You know, the world needs that from them. And with an intentional focus on it and some effort from leaders, it can actually be a superpower. And do you find today that in the current environment that there are companies who have very currently distinguished themselves in this regard? Sure. Uh, I think some companies are recognizing that this is what employees want. This is what consumers want. And consumers are moving their dollars because they want to do business with companies that share their values. So you know, some of the ones that are uh, commonly talked about, I think, are companies like Patagonia and REI. Uh, Salesforce gets a lot of credit in this regard. I love what Microsoft has done. You know, Satya Nadella, the leader there, uh, has done some very good forward-thinking things that you know, may not be in the short-term, you know, hit this quarterly number, uh, focus, but he's you know, boldly setting out things like becoming carbon negative by 2030 or actually uh, you know, uh, making up for all of the carbon that has ever been put into the, the environment by Microsoft since its inception and taking responsibility that uh, by 2050. So I think there are a number of examples of companies that are thinking about more than just their short-term profit number and thinking about an array of stakeholders and trying to do good in the world. Well, you sound like um, 
Well, what you said, particularly your reference to Patagonia, and you're right in the book about Patagonia as well as BlackRock and the Business Roundtable. I think what you're saying yeah. is consistent with the message from Larry Fink at BlackRock and from the Business Roundtable about having a focus broader than just quarterly earnings. Can start. You need a purpose. Right? You yeah. need a purpose, and, and profit is not purpose. I think for so long, uh, there's this this notion somehow that companies have to be focused entirely on shareholders. Now, whatever's good for the shareholder, that's what we have to do. Now, coincidentally, what's ever good, good for the shareholder is also good, coincidentally, for the executives because their pay is tied to how the stock goes. So in reality, you get a lot of selfish behavior things that are you know, ethically questionable or worse that come out of it. I think you know, what we've seen is really the, the start of an integrity revolution. This idea that we need more from companies than just making money. We need companies to step up and solve some of the world's biggest problems and to think about really, I think, a broader picture than just the quarterly number. What are we doing for the world? What are we doing for employees, for communities? Uh, for, for business partners. And, you know, of course, making money is still important. Companies have to have a profit in order to finance what they do. But there's no law that says that it has to be the only focus. The way that the law has been interpreted has been do whatever is right for the shareholders in the short term. So the things I'm talking about that that look at a broader set of stakeholders than just shareholders and investors. There's study after study has demonstrated that companies that act with a broader purpose and that have a multi-stakeholder approach actually outperform the market and outperform their peers. So what we're really talking about here, I think, is a shift away from a very quarterly short-term focus and investing in a longer-term focus with companies by giving to others, by thinking about others, ultimately, it builds a brand that is bigger and better for shareholders as well. So everybody wins. Now, can startups and other small companies afford to be mission-driven? Is You've referred to this as a long-term strategy, which I appreciate. But is yeah. this a long-term strategy at the expense of short-term profitability uh, and revenues? Uh, I'd argue that it's not necessarily long-term. You know, long-term, perhaps, by today's thinking. But over a couple of years, two or three years, this approach like it pays off a lot better than focusing just on a quarterly number. I think startups actually need to have it baked in from the very beginning. If you're starting a company, I think you have to start with what's my purpose? Why do I exist? Why am I good for the world? Because that has to be your North star and guide your actions. Now you need money to do it. And that's something that we all understand, but you are going to inspire people and get people to pay attention to you root for you, stand up for you, if they believe in your purpose. Like there's just a recent study that I saw in Forbes magazine. Uh, if, if consumers believe that you are, that your company has a purpose that they identify with, they're four times likely to buy from you. And they are four to six times likely to actually stand up for you, speak up for you, and become a, a fan if they believe you've got that purpose. So, what company wouldn't want that? And that's actually, I think, a critical part of getting a company off the ground. Get people excited about you. Um, and the way you do it 
is demonstrate that you care about something other than just just solely that quarterly number. And you mentioned consume. You mentioned consumers and employees, and what what you're outlining, I think, is very exciting and uh, can attract consumers, but can particularly attract uh, employees and be a terrific retention strategy. And you're right about employee pressures put on Salesforce and Google and Amazon and others to act ethically. Uh, You also write about rogue employees who can have an outsized negative impact on the reputation of a company. Talk a little more, if you would, about the role that non-management employees play in acting with intentional integrity. Well, today, more than ever, companies uh, or employees want more than just a paycheck. I think for a long time, you've heard companies talk about getting employees who are inspired by the mission and are bought in. Well, they've got it. But what that means is that employees also feel empowered to speak up if they see things going on inside of a company that are not aligned with their values. You know, I think in the old days, Howard, you go to work for a company and you, you want to stay there 30 years and get a, a nice watch on retirement, you're not going to speak up. And in fact, even if you want to speak up, it's hard. it was hard to get anybody's attention. Today, employees are far more mobile. They may, may work for a dozen companies during the course of their career. And they've got a platform that they can use to communicate with each other. It's called Slack or Blind or Glassdoor. And they've got a platform where they can communicate to the world. Look, Uber, uh, it, it literally changed the entire course of that company. So an individual employee is empowered today, I think, by never, like never before. And they want to have an impact when they go to work. So... They want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. They want a purpose to work for. So I think companies, if companies want a workforce that's aligned behind them, buying into the mission, doing their best work, uh, they need to inspire them with something beyond just that quarterly number. I think people, I, I agree with that. And I think people want to be proud of where they're working. Your employer's brand is your brand. Right. Uh, you know, when I look back at my career, you know, eBay, Airbnb, you know, Chegg, these are companies that I feel deeply attached to. They show up on my LinkedIn profile. They're what I write about in the book. I want to be proud of those places. So when they, when, when there's a problem at one of those companies, I feel as though it hurts me personally. So um, a lot of the companies you've worked uh, for have been disruptors, innovators. And early in the book, you refer to companies like eBay, Uber, and Lyft, and others uh, initially praised and celebrated as innovators. Uh, who are now at the center of, of debates about the impact of technology on society. Uh, talk about the debates, if you will. What are the issues that these companies face regarding the impact of technology on society? Sure. I think you can look at most companies and say uh, they're doing good things for society, but they're also doing things that aren't great for society. And you know, I think the, the challenge, and particularly for disruptors, you know, I think disruptors can can have an outsized positive impact, but they can also have a negative impact on their communities. And then look at uh, look at what Uber has gone through um, with with the, the criticism they've received for how they treat their contractor workforce. Or Airbnb. Look, Airbnb took a lot of criticism for the fact that some hosts were engaging in discrimination on their platform, uh, or that Airbnbs were somehow having a negative impact on housing prices. So I think the challenge for these companies uh, is to recognize that they have an obligation to look 
at these other stakeholders and to, to do things for these other stakeholders as well. So, uh, you know, at Airbnb, for example, I think Airbnb, when confronted with a discrimination uh, issue, Airbnb didn't say, oh, we're only a platform. You know, there, that's a few hosts that are doing it, but we're not responsible. Uh, Airbnb stepped up and said, you know something? If this sort of thing is going on on our platform, we're failing as a company. It is antithetical to our mission and what we stand for. And we're going to make a, make it a priority to fight discrimination on the platform. So they, they, they seized something that was having negative impact on stakeholders, which are, you know, guests of color. Uh, and they took some steps that were not, at least in their short-term financial interest. I'll give you an example. One of the things that Airbnb did was they, they took everyone to a, a landing page when they went to the site that said very simply, you know, by joining Airbnb, I will treat everyone with respect and dignity and will welcome them regardless of their race, nationality, religion, gender, so on. Now, Howard, about 1% of Airbnb users declined to take this pledge. And so they were removed from the community. Not good for business in the short term, I think Airbnb recognized that it had a broader obligation to other stakeholders and really believed that in the long run, the, the brand and the community would be more powerful for having taken a stand like this and recognizing. So not every platform behaves in that way. And so uh, I could see why you're proud to have Airbnb on your LinkedIn. Late in the book, uh, you discuss intentional inclusion and you refer to intentional inclusion as the close cousin of intentional integrity. Uh, inclusion, of course, is critical uh, to begin to level the playing field for minorities who have been excluded. What do you mean by intentional inclusion as, as you use it in the book? Well, I think we've seen a movement in the world generally that brings us all more all connected. And certainly there's the Internet. But beyond that, you know, just uh, things like COVID-19, you know, uh, something that breaks out in one area of the world, because we are so connected as a society from travel, spreads out the entire planet. Climate change, you know, actions by one company in one part of the world can impact an entire planet. Uh, injustice, I think, is something that we recognize the closer we get to our fellow man, the more we realize that injustice to one really is an affront to all of us and a responsibility that we need to embrace to deal with that injustice, whether that be gender inequality or racial inequality or injustice. So as a company, a company needs to step up and recognize that this is something that needs to be addressed. So they need to go beyond you know, the, the nice words about, about standing with Black Lives Matter and take intentional steps to help address the injustice. And, and how can they do that? Well, you know, one, they can make an effort to ensure that, that women and minorities are represented at all levels, board level, leadership level, and at all of the different jobs. And by the way, there's a, an important reason for this. You know, you'll make better decisions if you've got a diverse workforce. Let's, let's go back to that discrimination issue that I talked about. When words started first coming out on the, on the Internet that guests were being discriminated against based on the color of their skin, the reaction inside of Airbnb was surprise, shock. Like what? They couldn't believe that people were actually being discriminated against. Now, why? Why were they so surprised? Well, 
the company was born in San Francisco, which I think is a, known as a very tolerant area of the world, um, by three young white males. And as an employee base, there were not a lot of black employees at Airbnb back in the, in the early days of the company. So if your employees haven't experienced discrimination, then you're not thinking about discrimination when you're building the site and building the product. I think all of us at Airbnb recognized later that if we had been more diverse inside the company early on, we would have been far more attuned to the potential for discrimination and been able to address it faster. So what companies need to do is they need to make an intentional effort to build a diverse workforce and make sure that people are paid fairly. And that's, again, not something that just happens through the ordinary process, because we've seen that when you don't focus on it, we've seen that women and minorities are less willing and enthusiastic in in, uh, salary negotiations. And then once they are paid less in one job, that automatically seems to carry over to the next. So you need to make intentional efforts through your policies to overcome that. So as I said at the outset, this is an anti-apocalyptic book. Uh, You express hope. But it's not, it's not blind help. You have specific directions you encourage companies to go in, both from the point of view of integrity and inclusion. Uh, absolutely fascinating. The uh, book itself uh, was a great read, and I really appreciate uh, getting an advanced copy so I could talk to you about it. I gather it's coming out at the end of July. Is that right? End of July. That's right. So uh, let me ask you one last question unrelated to your book. Uh, what are you currently reading? What is it you like to read? And is there anything interesting you're currently reading? Uh, I just finished reading Give and Take by Adam Grant. By the way, it turns out to be far more related to intentional integrity than I realized when I picked it up. I mean, it's a, on its face, it's a fantastic book about your individual life outlook and how treating others uh, well and giving to others actually is something that will rebound uh, to your own benefit, ultimately. And people who have a particular giving attitude toward other people uh, actually do better than those who are constantly simply taking from others. But that applies, I think, with equal force to companies. You know, the more that companies are focused on just taking, 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 trying to drive up a, a quarterly number, that doesn't bode well in the longer term. But companies that are looking to how they can help others, how they can be good partners and assist others, uh, their stakeholders, this will ultimately come back and help build a stronger, better company in the long run. So uh, I really enjoyed the fact that it, uh, it it tied so nicely with what I was writing about in, in corporate America. Um, another good book I'd recommend is called Positivity by Barbara Fredrickson. It actually is the science of positive thinking uh, and, and how you can measure your thoughts throughout the day, classify them as positive or negative, and learn a lot about yourself depending on what your ratio is, what the ratio of positive thoughts to negative thoughts is. And the book even has a, an ideal ratio that we should all be trying to achieve in order to lead a happier and more successful life. So I'd recommend that as well. That's phenomenal. Well, you've diversified my interests. <laughs> I need to put those on my night table. Rob, <laughs> thank you very much. This has been just terrific. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. And anybody that's interested can follow me on LinkedIn. I write about integrity on LinkedIn almost every day. And of course, there's a website, www.intentionalintegrity.com. Thanks, Howard. 
Thanks to my friends for recommending so many of the books I referred to earlier. Kay Karras, of course, for introducing me to Rob. Nora Gross for the recommendation in the book club discussion of White Fragility. David Stiepelman for recommending Stern and These Truths. David Levine, who both recommended and gifted Churchill Walking with Destiny to me. Keith Shaken, who brought to my attention his daughter's great debut novel, St. X. Roseanne Needleman, who brought to my attention her son-in-law's The Uninhabitable Earth. Marlene Lipman, who arranged for me to have an advanced copy of The Nickel Boys. And my daughter, Melanie, a reading companion for the last several decades, who highly recommended An American Marriage. Follow us on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, on Instagram and Twitter at bookwormsitw, and on Facebook at bookwormsinthewild. And message me to tell me what you're reading or email me at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, which also includes links to the books and other resources we refer to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And of course, Carol is my muse. Little Jake is now 15 months old, and although he thought he would be a city kid, he's currently a farm boy and will be for the foreseeable future. Jake continues to provide emotional support for the podcast and for all of us as well. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of my guests, although not today. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. And thanks as well to AJ Falari, who is working on the editing with me. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments either directly on the podcast or at bookwomsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.